Inhuman. I'm Adam Foley. And I'm Elisa Romeo. Today, we'll be talking with Francois Clemens. everyone we are honored to have this next guest on today we have been wanting to speak with him for a long while and we're so happy he made the time to speak with us yeah most of you will recognize francois clemens from his role as officer clemens on mr rogers neighborhood it was about two years ago we saw francois on uh interviewed on the documentary won't you be my neighbor and it was like a minute into his interview and we knew we had to have him on. I think Elisa contacted him that night. Mm -hmm. Uh, Francois is a deeply spiritual and authentic person, which I think we'll translate and you'll discover in this interview. Uh, He has lived a profoundly difficult but yet inspiring life, which is beautifully captured in his new memoir, Officer Clemen, which we will be talking about today, sharing stories from. He's also an incredible singer which he actually sings a little on show today. And he created the world-renowned Harlem Spiritual Ensemble and won a Grammy for his performance in Porgy and Bess. Today we'll be sharing some stories from his book as well as diving into current events. Francois is one of the only people I've ever met that can talk about angels and seeing spirits in the same breath as social injustice. He does a beautiful job at weaving spiritual truths into effective action. I found this conversation to be deeply radical, and we're very happy to share it with you. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Honored to be here oh. with you. We feel like well, we've been absolutely. in your life, you know, the past few weeks. <laughs> really? You have been in a certain part of my life. You talk about honored. It's a tremendously humbling experience to have your, uh, what, what is, in a sense, my life story, you know, it's a memoir. So it's not a pure uh, chronicle telling of my life, but it's got the essence of my life. And I have to say that I'm honored that so many people find it interesting. They like how I said it as well as that I said it. And a boy wrote me an email a day or so ago and said that there's only one problem with that volume. And I thought, oh, Lord. (laughs) And he said it wasn't long enough. Mm -hmm. I said long enough. He said I could have read on forever. That's a tremendous compliment. It it was very captivating. I mean, from the first chapter, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) it was just like, wow, this is, uh, I mean, and so emotional. I actually had to pause after the first two chapters to like integrate it. Like I couldn't just barrel through. I had to kind of, feel it and sit with that for a while um yeah, i was like why are we watching the fred rogers show we should be watching yeah sign me up where's the show yeah well i have to tell you that uh, several people have mentioned that i'm carrying on his work and what i feel is i'm doing my own work if it happens to have a lot of his grounding that's true because he was my mentor mm-hmm. for a long time and i actually intentionally um planned and set up a couple of programs that i got involved in based upon some of the principles that he had given to me. For example, unconditional love, accepting people as they are, uh, non-judgmental, on and on like that. And I found a tremendously rewarding experience with a couple of people who are ready mm-hmm. to relate on that level. Yeah. Um, one of the things is that I did not have a contract when I came to work for Fred. And so for four or five years, I worked because he gave me his word. Well, that's the way people are supposed to be. If I give you my word, I'm sitting here. Mm-hmm. And if he gave you his word, 
it was written in blood, he was, he was gonna do what he said. So it was interesting and um, uh, it was life treating me uh, to grow up, to realize everybody wasn't like that. Mm, I had yeah. to accept that and be peaceful about it and not yell at people. Why can't you give your friggin' word and mean it and stick to it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something that my word is so valuable that if I tell you I'm going to do something, come hell or high water, I do it. I think yeah. it's our spiritual currency. If we don't have integrity, what is there? You, you know? got it. Yeah, I'm very interested in the things you just said uh, about this uh, being a, um, you're into energy and psychic stuff and what else you do? Yeah, you know, well, just in terms of something we do. So when Adam and I met, and this is kind of piggybacking on what you were saying about Fred and you, I think one reason I was so, I could literally start crying right now. So it was so emotional about this is because I believe in soul groups. And when Adam and I met, it kind of activated a memory. And it was interesting when you talk about sitting with Fred for that first time, you talk about like a dream cloak coming into yeah. the room. Yep. And just this energy of timelessness is, yes. you know, there's this feeling of like meant to be-ness, but it's happening in time. And that's like when we met, it was a feeling of like, I don't know you at all. And I don't even know if I trust you, but I love you. And it's a re reunion. We're having a reunion. And yep. part, part of me understands that and part of me does it. My trauma <laughs> part of me might yeah. fight that or not get it. But then part of me wants to surrender to this greater thing happening. So who you are, I think, is, it, I don't think it's even so much what Fred gave you or you gave Fred, but that your soul family, there was an agreement before you came in to I do agree. this thing together. So I absolutely agree. I think for us, that immediately showed us kind of like who you are in terms of spiritual royalty. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> how, how I would put that, you know, like, that you have a soul agreement to really bring consciousness in through a really beautiful, unconditional love way and really show people through those daily grounded hard actions that it's not always easy to be a spiritual warrior down here. No, it is going not. Up. Yeah. And, um, and what I noticed too, uh, even before you met Fred in the book, your descriptions of your connection with God as you're singing and uh, the way to describe this God as all loving, uh, even when through the Christian lens, you keep getting judged for being gay and shamed for that. You keep finding your connection, your personal connection from God. And mm -hmm. you talk about learning to meditate and finding that inner self and emerging that from within. Uh, and so just, it to me, it totally makes sense that you met Fred because it feels like you both were finding right. this all compassionate God and trying to show people that life can be this good. He said to me one time, I'll talk about it maybe in the next book. The more I gather notes and my desk is a little bit of a mess. <laughs> yeah. It seems like I'm going to do what you would call a volume two. Wow. I hadn't Very planned cool. to do that. I want to do something else. <laughs> I can't even imagine what's going to be. I'm so excited about it. Well, I two. can't either. I'm sure <laughs> I'm depending on you. I'll be depending on, but no, um, I, I'll find it that nucleus that I need. Um, later on but one of the things he he did say to me maybe once or even maybe twice he said well you know you're an old soul don't you so no <laughs> i'm not i'm 24 years old uh, so yeah. i'm just being funny uh, i yeah. said really fred he said yeah you just keep you know listening and dealing with the 
inner voice, friends, what's happening inside is talking to you. I, I just had, had, didn't, had not had enough experience. So as I listened to him, I thought, that inner voice is, is mm. what brought me here. And, and how does he know about it? I think that was the other thing. How does he know about it? <laughs> yeah. uh, a couple of things he said to me during the course of the, my earlier 10 years, the early first 10 years. And then uh, another time we got together and he let that, he put that in the conversation again. You know, you're an old soul, friends. No, <laughs> yeah. I don't. But, and I say the last 15 to 20 years, I have really understood <laughs> uh, that um, life does not begin here. This is not all of it, y'all. I'm sorry yeah, to yeah. tell you that. Yeah. There's a before and there's an after. And you just, you're just you passing through. Yes. And it's going to be better than you ever imagined. You have to realize that there's purpose and there's a way uh, that's right for you. And you don't have to be afraid. It, it's, but there's another level of whatever it is you're yeah. dealing with. That's actually, so my, the book that I published in 2015 is called Meet Your Soul. And it's about talking to your inner voice, your intuition, yes. and yes. trusting that still small voice of love and then really mag magnifying it. So we do that work. And then we're writing a book now called Holy Love about how to do that in relationship instead of letting your trauma react to whatever the other person does to ground down what is love telling me now to mm -hmm. bring healing to the relationship. Which is I'm Go ahead. I'm sorry. I right, just say no, it's not. Always when are we going to start our conversation? <laughs> Anytime. This is happening. <laughs> this, this, this is all. We're very casual. We yeah, we just. I understand. And I felt like, well, maybe this is it, but maybe you should ask. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> One of the things that I was thinking about is um, there's something deep inside of me uh, that is very, very much alive, very strong. It's uh, very focused. And I know it's me. And because it's so powerful and so deeply sensitive to things, I sometimes doubt that it's me. And I talk to it. I say, is that you in there? And what are you doing? And what are you talking about? There's something so strong. I got sick uh, about three, three or four years ago. I remember one day laying there in the hospital and uh, this essence of me said, child, we're tired of this hospital. <laughs> we're gonna get out of here. I said, I'm sick. What are you talking about, self? No, no, you're not. And we're gonna get well immediately. And just a day or so, honey, I couldn't believe the, the, the strength that was running through my limbs. And I said, to the, to my buddies and nurses and stuff. I'm ready to go home. Whatever else you have for me to do, I can do it at home. Well, to tell you the truth, I was on kidney dialysis. Wow. wow. Uh, and so, you know, you spend four hours and then you die for the next day and a half. And then Wednesday, you come back and do four hours and you go home, you're exhausted. Wow, and you yeah. come back on Friday, four hours. I've been doing that for a couple of months and uh, it was something, they actually gave me the wrong medication I was allergic to it, and the combination of that got the kidneys. Oh, no. So uh, the doctor said, well, what are you going to do about this? I said, I'm going to get well. I'm not living with, with this anymore. And so he said, well, I can let you go home, but you have to come back on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. To make a long story short, I said, okay, I'll come back a couple of uh, months like that. I wasn't stupid. I was weak. And I literally had to be taught to walk again and stuff like that. So when I got home, and it takes an hour to drive from here to Burlington. And I said, I don't intend to keep this drive up. I don't like it. I want to do something else. I'm, I'm 
you're in prison. You got to get up early, get clean, and then get in the car, drive an hour. Uh, yes, an hour from here. Stay there four hours, and then come home and go to bed. No, 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 no. So I sat here when I came home and I started talking to myself. And I started doing Reiki. I do Reiki. I do um, hands-on healing. Great. And I began to do deep meditation. And I found that voice. I said, now listen, mm -hmm. I'm not going back and forth up to that hospital. That is not why I came here. Now, if, you, if you're in there and you're doing stuff and you're carrying on, get, get rid of this. This is not me. Child, in about six weeks, the doctor said the numbers have changed. Yeah. Oh, sure enough. I came home and I went on about my life and I almost forgot to go back to see him. But they sent out, you know, notices and stuff. And I got the notice and I went up there. And uh, he said, don't, don't, don't get hooked up. Come on into my office. So I went into his office and he said, the numbers say, you, you know, you shouldn't be up here anymore, Francois. I have one question. What are you doing? <laughs> and he said, 40 years I've taught Francois and I've worked here in this hospital and not once. Have I ever even had a patient come close, hey, to wanting <laughs> to be in there and then go home? Tell me. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, I am praying. There's a God and he's here and he loves me and he loves you. And I, every morning I get up saying, thank you. You're just the sweetest lover and I love you and I love being here. It's a wonderful day because I opened my eyes. Gratitude great gratitude i got down on my knees and i thanked him i said now that's not what you want your servant to do i'm not going back and forth up there father so help i went back up there and he said okay i'll see you in six months <laughs> <laughs> wow that's well, beautiful i said because i believe in it i said well i'm not praying i meditate i, I stay in a sense of other awareness I see other things, I feel other things, I smell other things, I hear. I'm totally um, deaf on the right side. Ha Believe me, I pray to have my hearing back, but I hear a voice inside. I mean, literally, the ice, I think it's the angels singing. Mm -hmm. I hear them, and I try to understand what they're saying sometimes. I talk to them, particularly when they get too loud and distracting. Like right now, there's nothing, there's nothing going on. If they come on, I think they're my guides. I know they're angels. There's some angel presence in there. And so I, you know, I do things like you do this. <laughs> yeah. And what I do, I hear, I hear more inside than outside. Mm. But I, I never uh, hear anything outside again. But on this side, fine. Wow. So long well, this as it sounds hurt. like part two to me. Yeah, I want to hear your part two. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I, I'm in. I'm oh, in. Oh, yeah. maybe you've given me the idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, talk in, about that. That one of the things you talk about, and which definitely piqued our interest. So part of what happened to me is I had an out of body experience when I was in oh. grad school, where I had a life review, where you see your life oh, from. Oh my! So I had my life review, and my dad was a biochemist. He's very scientific, and so we always had a little bit of. I was a little girl having psychic mystical experiences, yeah. but then yeah. there was no, my mom's a mathematician. So they were like, you're crazy. Oh, dear. Oh, this, thing, this makes no sense. And mathematician. Yeah. And I was like, you can't see the spirits and hear the angels. I don't get it. Um, so that made me, and they were like, that's crazy. So I went on to get my psych degree to be like, is this crazy? Like, is this that? Uh -huh. And so my I whole mean. thing is like, what is actually schizophrenia? What is actually a and psychic? what's real? Yeah. And, and what's real? What's behind the veil? What is yes. happening? 
Um, and that's not crazy. And that's yeah. not, you know, you don't need to see some, some other doctor or somebody to tell you you are or you aren't because it, it justifies itself. You know, other people can doubt, but you know, I know. And nowadays when I tell some of my friends, I see things, I hear, I hear mm -hmm. things. They believe me now. They stop saying, oh, what do you mean you hear stuff? What <laughs> yeah. do you mean you, oh, there's nothing else here but us. I said, oh, please, this room is full. Yeah, you just yeah. can't see it. You're vibrating on another level. That story of Machu Picchu and the psychic that you visited. And can you tell everybody what the psychic told you and then what happened with your dream that night? Well, he told me you're, you're going to be the conductor, the director of a very important uh, form of music to your people, for your people. And so I said, you mean like spirituals? Yes, yes. And what do I do? Get up here. Ah, ah, ah. Whoa. my grandmother's voice wow that's who i hear my aunt uh my great grandmother laura may she's the singer she put it in there you're gonna sing this boy she anointed me when i was very very young i followed her around the house <laughs> so i was doing i used to imitate her my grandmother my mother mm -hmm. well well I, Stop that imitating me, boy. <laughs> and you know, you're going over there if you're going to play. Go somewhere. <laughs> but most of the time she said nothing. But that's, you know, the irony. I watched her and I loved it. I didn't have any better sense than not to, to love it. I, yeah. I just loved watching her. I loved being around her. I loved imitating her. My great grandmother was the, the God on high. She was immortal. Uh, I never imagined her dying and stuff like that. Is yeah. I mean, I think that's why I had to stop reading for a second after the, the story with Laura May and old Master Sanders. So my great-grandmother's relationship with uh, old Master Sanders was the way black women got along in this world. Mm -hmm. They gave their bodies. She didn't like leaving and going with Master Sanders, but if she didn't go, she knew they couldn't stay in the old homestead any longer. She didn't know where they would go. This place was home. This was the only home that she had ever known. Just past the barn, Master Sanders walked closer and spoke to her as he always did. He asked her how she was feeling and if she was glad to see him. She tried to smile and said yes, as she always did. He told her he had wanted to stop by and see her earlier that week but his work and family had kept him away. He had been saying that for more than 20 years, and Laura May had stopped listening. That night, she was troubled by the pounding of her heart and the sharp voice calling to her from the house. It was Noah Leon calling her to come back to him and leave old Master Sanders. Old Master Sanders was still talking to her as she tried to block the hurt and anguish of Noah Leon's voice out of her ears. His voice grew louder 
and she realized suddenly that he was standing close by. She wheeled around and stared at him. Noah Leon had a big chopping cleaver raised over his head, and he was coming towards old Master Sanders. She screamed as she heard the shots ring out. Noah stood motionless and stunned. Old Master Sanders had reached into his overalls, pulled out his pistol, and shot Noah Leon point blank three times without stopping. Bang! 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 Everybody knew that he carried that pistol. He sometimes used it on sick livestock and stray rabbits. Didn't Noah Leon know it? Laura may never had time to speak. It happened so fast. Noah Leon was on the ground at her feet, bleeding from his chest and stomach. A crowd quickly gathered and stood around them. Stand back, old Master Sanders barked. Let him lay there. Nobody touch him. Let the slimy bastard lay there where he belongs in the dirt. I never liked him anyway. They all stood there. And nobody moved, not even the babies. And we said, that must stop. You do not own her body. Yeah. And she, she no longer is going to be required to come there and be a, 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 a vessel for you to have your thrills and leave. And no, even no, no, no. The, the creepiness of him kind of pretending civ civilities in terms of how are you doing today? It's like, oh. why are you even saying that you're just raping her? Like, why are you pretending to even be civil in any way? And how it felt like um, Noah Ooh. Leon sacrificed his life to almost shift a dynamic in the sense of after that, she wasn't expected to have to. Have he was a sacrificial lamb is how I call it. Somebody's going to have to die for, for people to pay attention, to yeah. realize what's going on. So. As I was sharing the story, I realized that what it was going to come to. The other part is uh, we're living in a modern society now, and we we have to, some of the same stuff is happening. Yeah. It hasn't stopped, but we we have to say you cannot do that anymore. And that's young people, the 25, the 26, the 20 year olds. They're the ones who are walking away from the racism and walking. Say we don't need it. What is it? It's not a part of us. And so I look at them and I look at them on television. I listen to them. And I've been li listening since that girl from Scandinavia started talking about the earth and the preservation. And she said to a couple of the uh, people who were there, look what you've done. Look yeah. what you've done. Look what you're leaving us. Yeah. You, with all your power, all your intelligence, all these colleges, and we need to clear this air up. We're not, now we, it, you left the job to us. We have to clean up this water. You can't drink the water. What is wrong with y'all? Everybody here is intelligent. But here we are stuck with the dumbest person in the world sitting in the major seat. Yeah. We're not doing everything right. This we, something has got to change. Yeah. Master Sanders' reactions towards shooting Noah is uh, yeah. get like away from his body. Yeah, you rat. can't bury him. Uh, and and he's, saying, he's saying that Noah doesn't matter. He's saying that as a person, this person doesn't matter, which I think is the the calling right now in the Black Lives Matter That's movement. Right. It's like they have taken our hearts and opened them and put in there this poison root 
it's, it's killing us. And that killing is black is ugly, black is inferior, black is no good, black will not accomplish. That's in there. It's like an operation. You have to take it out and throw it away. Exorcism. <laughs> yes, yes, like an exorcism, because there is a spiritual basis for it. And that is for 400 something years, it's been passed down from generation to generation to generation, oh, to generation and to generation. That same very, very poisonous message. So we, we have to have this purging that's going on. You see it. Our, we have the sin of racism, and it's like an open sore in your back that's bleeding. And you think that you've been healed because you've covered it over with bandages and with and the blood is still coming through. Well, and anybody who does energy work understands that every moment of your life and sometimes past lives is accumulated in your energy field. So your bio biography is your biology and it's in there, whether we're think we're over it or how much time has passed. And, and then the way to heal it is really energetic, emotional, bringing love into the body. It's a process of being really attentive to how and where it's hiding, which you did in your five years of therapy and all of your prayer and meditation and people yeah. where is it hiding how can yeah. we bring it to the surface bring love directly to it which i think is what you and mr rogers are doing as well yeah. in all different ways with your sound and your voice and with the sacred space between him and the camera i think yeah. it's really just heart heart to heart conversation and not letting the appearance of something or the trauma of something be the orientation of like how you're going to navigate your life if you can let love yeah. really be the but, and what I was going to say is what makes us a little, we, we use the word psychic, but really the work we do is we look at somebody's soul and we, uh -huh. we connect to the essence of who they are as a soul. And we always see just, it's, it's astonishing whenever we look at somebody's soul. It's like, it, like we cry, we cry in sessions because <laughs> we'll, it's seeing somebody's soul is just so beautiful, their uniqueness, uh, and I see it like God's the ocean and the souls are the raindrops. So they're coming yeah. from that source. They're of that yeah. source, but there's that individuation that's unique. It has an essence. Way. I yeah. And, and I, I think one of the most ahead. violent things you can do is to look at somebody and not recognize that in them yes, and tell exactly. them that that Which part happens of them all the time with matter. children. I think it's, yes. and we're always seeing all the problems of adults or the world is because there wasn't that soul reflection growing up. Like you're saying those first five years, if you don't yes. get that mirroring, I love with your grandpa Saul, the cane story. Cause to me, that feels like where you're sitting together oh, with your souls, yeah. just, you know, it was so wonderful. I'm blessed in the sense that I'm glad I wrote that down because I was able to share with people those very, very, very meaningful experiences that I had as a child and how they formed me into what I, you know, later went on to do. But the thing that, that you're also talking about, I heard something the other day, and I know you're the right people I can say this. I haven't talked to anybody about it. Always remember that the present that you're doing right now, your present, will influence your past. That's the first part. The second part is the present and the future influences the past mm -hmm. because god is everywhere in time there's no such thing as time it's all simultaneous it's happening that's why when you say you want a, a new house and you pray you pray it's here right now not tomorrow not six months not a year even if you have to put it on hold and say okay i got the key i got the house 
but I'm not ready for it yet. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. And I it's think that that's why that the most powerful prayer is a prayer of gratitude because you're aligning with the universe in which that exists. You're going yeah. into that timeline. And that's what shamanism is so much is like, and, and when I was in my soul, it was like, there was no time. It wasn't that's a linear right. time, right? There's so no it's time. Like, and it's really hard to explain when we're here. And that's why the name of the podcast is Holy and Human because they're both <laughs> really happening. And sometimes yeah. we feel so separated. You feel so trapped within your circumstances and within the physicality of what's happening right now. And it's yeah. hard to remember there's miracles waiting. Yes. Yeah. Not only are there miracles, but you have the ability to create on that level. If you're ready, you can ask. And you're, the part of you that is divine, that knows itself can can work these things out and a lot of times the best thing you can say is thank you and then i don't know what to do because the spirit <laughs> will lead you yeah mm -hmm. it will lead you you don't have to have one two three four organized and stuff otherwise i wouldn't be anywhere because this desk is a mess yeah but <laughs> as, as long as i know who who my source is and that i am a part of that source and that we are all in the uh in the substance of the universe together and the more i meditate and think about it the more i actually can see heck how could there possibly be anything else yeah you know on page 145 you talk about this i love where you got that book out there I, i'm, I'm here i'm ready look at do you see, do you see all these notes here? oh my lord yes it looks like a textbook i know seriously i've been studying this um, <laughs> You talk about um, when you were performing the different opera roles, how you felt more comfortable in the soul, your, as your soul in the female roles. And then you yes. say, in those moments, I felt, I truly felt like a woman. I felt tricked into my masculine body and existence. And this made me wonder about, you know, how you feel about it with the God now and the divine and how you interpret that. But you say at the time, I wrestled with my sense of having been misplaced, misconfigured. What had gone wrong? I sang and agonized over this dilemma for years, I was struggling for an answer that I could live with. Who had mismatched me, God? If God was so perfect and so all-knowing, all-creating and all-loving, well, what had gone wrong? I was stuck in this place. Nowhere did I feel that I had someone in authority, a champion, a mentor, a savior. And so where do you feel like you're at with that? I mean, just what you're just yeah. saying. So how do you make sense of that these days in terms of God and your body and the holy and human part of all of that? Well, first of all, I had to sit down uh, a number of times, not, well, not just one time. Uh, and basically what I said, that which is, is, and it's perfect. It, I, it doesn't need me. I'm not going to change wow. it. It doesn't need new rules for me. It did this. Okay, what is this? So what I came to was, I'm fine. There are people <laughs> judging me. Wow. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. And they tell you stuff, but spirit has never told me anything like that and yeah. because of that i uh i had to continue to say being me is okay it didn't last very long because i was young and i was weak but i was getting the information when i got to fred that's when i had this vision when i said he said i like you just the way you are you make every day a beautiful day why just by being you and i like you just the way you are well that day i was in the studio it was like Sky, starbursts. Hmm. Ah, uh, you know, uh, but nobody else but him and I seem to have seen it. And I looked at him and I couldn't see him as a black or white or green or yellow or orange man. It was, it was divine stuff. Hmm. That's what yeah. he was. But it was just, the most spectacular yeah. stuff I'd ever seen. 
And I was absolutely uh, uh, taken away. And we were right there with each other. I said, Fred, are you talking to me? The lowest of all? He said, yes, I was. I've been talking to you for two years, but you heard me today. Well, I just collapsed in his arms. I mean, I was, everybody was wondering, what's the matter, what's the matter, what's the matter? So he and I went back behind the set. We sat down, he said, I know. I've been meaning to, I've been wanting you to get that because that's the only way we can do our work. You have to know who you are. And I think because every kid watching, that's really what you take away. You're special just as you are. When we went to see the documentary, when we heard that he said, you got to stay closeted, keep this buttoned up because we don't want to lose our sponsorships. We were devastated, not just for you, but for the messaging and is everything of your special just as you are? Is it not true? You know, and um, I really liked reading about your process with that because I'm sure it was, you know, it was more complex than my initial kind of reaction to that. It's like a multi-layer. Do you say in the book, Fred was my perfect comfort just as he had become my perfect pain? When I arrived at the television station, Elaine pointed me to the room where we were to meet. And when I got there, Fred introduced me to his manager, George Bacon, and closed the door. France, we've come to love you here on the neighborhood, Fred said. You have talent and gifts that set you apart and above the crowd. And we want to ensure your future place with us. You're a proud person. And you have every reason to be. We all agree that your singing has set a high mark around here. And we want to be an active part of your exciting career. His demeanor was what I'd come to expect from him. It was as though George wasn't in the same room with us. Fred spoke quietly and totally to me. He was in his gift with me. It was like a secret that no one else in the whole world was privy to. If my daddy had ever been a true father and had spoken to me, I imagine that he would have looked at me and sounded like Fred. I couldn't help myself. I inhabited the role of a son, and I even listened to his breathing as he began again. Someone, we're not able to say who, has informed us that you were seen at the local gay bar downtown with a friend from school. Now, I want you to know, France, that if you're gay, it doesn't matter to me at all. Whatever you say and do is fine with me. But if you're going to be on the show as an important member of the neighborhood, you can't be out as gay. People must not know. What you feel must be your own personal business. Many of the wrong people will get the worst idea. And we don't want them thinking and talking about you like that. I was stunned. Did you ever feel, and you talk about you weeping and weeping and letting out all the feelings. Did you ever feel angry about that? And in retrospect, do you feel like he made the right call at the time? Like we had to kind of first tackle I, I racism. I felt before. a little anger. I was knowing my personality. But more than anger, I felt helpless. And I thought, well, what the hell am I going to do now? And then when he put his arms around me, it was profoundly reassuring. Because even though he said I couldn't go on stage or in the studio and be gay and I couldn't come out, he told me he loved me and he would always love me. 
I love you, friends. I'm here for you. And if you, you want to, you just call me. I'll show you that I mean it. I'm not just a, his words, a fly by night, I can't remember, or just here for a day, and then it's gone. You're a part of my life, and I'm a part of yours. Other people may not understand, he said, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that you know it, and I know it. From now on, he says, that was the beginning of my sonship and the fact that I operated differently in the world because I knew I was loved. You, one uh, thing you talk about that was so moving was um, the words that Dr. Martin Luther King told you when you met him when, briefly where he said, keep on keeping on young man. We, the movement need people like you. I'm grateful for your help and cooperation. I'll be listening for you in the choir. And then later when he was assassinated, the grieving and the pain with the riots and what happened there and how you went to Fred's house. And I loved how he came in and just started reading. Cause I feel like that's, that's such a minister thing to do too. After my dad died, the minister showed up and just kind of knew how to hold that space where there was nothing else to do. You're so wrecked. You're like, what do I even, how do I start to process this? And, and just left the book of his writings next to your table side. Yeah. Um, and the riots after that, you know, you say in the book, that's not, in the legacy of, of nonviolent action. And then you also say you're a liberal progressive in the sense of, you know, the system needs to be changed. Do you feel do. the same with what's going on now in terms of oh, violence? It must be changed. And the best, the best, uh, um, but sometimes it's like that, that the, the riots can bring attention to like yes, making change oh, happen, yes. but it's also not in a nonviolent, uh, type of a way. Even if you have the violence and it serves a purpose, then you must have the other. Well, for one action, there's a reaction, and mm -hmm. the reaction has to be peace, mm -hmm. because you, you cannot continue mm -hmm. with that, that one response. And there's a time when, okay, we've been fighting. I know you're on that side, I'm on this side. How do we bring this together? It must come together. It must. Mm -hmm. And this is the time in history in which is difficult, but white men must yield. They must yield. The universe is telling them, you will be destroyed if you don't yield. They have to be held accountable. Not accountable <clears throat> and that we're going to destroy them, no. But they must understand what change means, what change. One thing you have to lay down and then you pick up something else. This is the new day. Yeah. And they haven't quite, they haven't even got ready to lay down their weapons mm -hmm. so they can pick up the joy and the uh, thing that will, the love that is for the new day. That's what I feel. Men like you are uh, the new masculinity. That's what I talk about uh, in a couple of my interviews and, and writings that men are going to have to become what we call more feminine. Because why? The femininity does what we just said. They are willing to compromise. They're thinking of pr protecting their children. A lot of men out there, they don't think about that. They don't think about children. What do the children need? No, we got to make another three three hundred million dollars for for Boulder or some other company. And no, we we need daycare, and then we need what what are we how what are we going to teach in the schools? We need for yeah. the men to think about that. I yeah. agree. You put so beautifully after the riots were happening after the assassination. Um, who was rioting? Why destroy your own home, your own people, yeah. in your rage and frustration? It was suicidal, but they all had one thing in common. They were tired of a system they couldn't seem to beat, a system they couldn't translate or get around, a system they had to not 
denied, had denied them what they sensed I had in education opportunities. And I think that's what you're speaking of too. It's like, unless we fix the system and get people set up to the degree that they can live functional, happy lives, there's going to just never gonna repercussions, be repercussions. Never. Yeah. And the other thing that I see <clears throat> that fills me with such, I, I, I can't call it joy. It's a sense of my human humanhood. When I see the white kids who have taken up their cross mm. and they are right there, right? They're, they're right there. They're, they're not over there. They're not down there. Not over, they're right there in the thick of it. Mm. And that's where they belong. Mm -hmm. They belong. And they are, as I see them, I think, why don't other people, these are the teachers. This is what we, look, look what they're doing. Look how they're doing it. They stand firm, but they're willing to sit down and negotiate. That's, yeah. Uh, and uh, when we go, we must be unified. We must show a unity of function and understanding because that is a part of wisdom. And we can't come up with that bullshit about black and white and flags and that, that, that's behind us. It's behind us. We're, yeah. we're, uh, uh, we're, um, uh, we're anointing a new day. We're invoking. Come on in. It's been ready all the, all the time. It's been ready. We haven't been ready. <clears throat> we're like adolescents. Yeah. We're I like love adolescents. I loved what you said earlier. I want to uh, I, I want to get the phrasing right because you said it so beautifully when you were talking about reconciling that feeling of why did God set me up this way and give me these uh, uh, and then realizing that God didn't see them as opposing forces like you said the perfection is what it is yes the perfection is what it is uh, and to realize that that conflict that you had internalized was not from God but from society was from the way people were treating you, the way that they're giving you internal beliefs that you were less than or born wrong or something uh, innately broken in with you. When I think you got that connection with God, it's like, oh, nothing was never wrong here. And I think that that's where I want to see humanity going. That's where I want to see this change uh -huh. happening. And that, that's how I see that conscious, greater consciousness you're talking about is where people see the perfection of each yes. other and can connect on that level. And energe energetically, it's just obvious, you know what I mean? Like, that's why I said spiritual royalty, because when you go into that realm of, um, when I see, you know, we see, speak to the other side and spirits are our friends, so we're always talking. <laughs> and so when a spirit presents itself, what you're feeling is the level of um, love that is with, within that entity and, and the work they did either in the light, in the life here or wherever they've been to kind of, you know, do that. So I feel like what spiritual warriors are, are people who just do that work consistently. And it's so interesting, archetypally you held, I mean, as a role on the planet as officer Clemens, you were the black police officer. And I just, and you talk about in the book, how that was challenges that role. Like, really, you want me to be this, this thing? Cause I don't always feel good about police officers. I'm a monster. Based on what police I've seen and experienced. And yeah. And so it's like, how I'm going to play that role. And we want to shift the, the marketing or the, the thoughts around what, what that is to hopefully create pave way for that to be a reality. So just what's happening right now where it's really like, you know, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter. I have thought about you as I'm reading this in terms of archetypally hold, like when you think of who's a black archetypal police officer, it's Officer Clemens. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, I agree. I understand. And there's this volcano right now where it's surfacing of it's being exposed like let's really look at how deep this problem is and how pervasive this problem is and how do you feel about what's happening right now in terms of that coming being so you've known it forever as living it but now it seems like it's having its moment in terms of people who with privilege that didn't have to think about that are like never oh. we're in school i never will forget when people used to say that you know you're in the earthly school so I'm in nursing school. When I get through with high school and get through with college, I'm through with school. Yeah. Ah, little did I know. So those who are the adolescents, these situations have to be presented to them. Otherwise, they don't grow. They don't uh, take off that cloak of yeah. childishness. Yeah. You have to sit down and think, and, and you think, well, I'm giving of myself mm. rather than pure pleasure for myself. There's nothing wrong with making that choice, but realize it. Yeah. It's realize interesting it. we collectively are being forced to sit down in quarantine right now. You know, it, it feels like the whole take a time humanity. Out. Look <laughs> at like, what you've done. Let's all let's take, take a second. Yeah. Take a time out. That's exactly what it is. Because mm -hmm. uh, I remember about two years ago, we started this in the Unitarian Church uh, program where several of the people in the administration had resigned uh, under the I, a protest that there was ingrained racism and it's built into the fabric because the white men who are running it vote for other white men. Mm. So if you're a Latino mother from Mexico or New Mexico or a black guy, you know, from New York or someplace, you really don't stand a chance. So the system keeps repeating itself. And they say, well, we, 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 we voted for the most qualified person or several people voted for you, but you didn't have enough votes. And that process kept, happening since 1950 or whatever and you had one major black person come up through that all the rest continue i actually so know his uh son what you do i know his son billy um i grew up unitarian uh, yeah oh my lord well, <laughs> we, have, we have weird things in common <laughs> we absolutely do well they've been having this discussion last year i guess mm -hmm. they finally had to have these um, church services at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock whatever sunday morning well, that's what you discussed because they wouldn't have done it. They would say, oh, we can't do that on Sunday. We have to be quiet, meditate, listen to those hymns by that German composer and then uh, and feel good. And then we may stay for 10 minutes for the meeting after the service. Mm -hmm. And then they, they leave. They go home. They think they've done a fine job. They left their check at the <laughs> church. And uh, so the, the racism can continue. So this new regime that came in was forcing white men to hear so we decided we would do it as gently as we could, but the time had come. And a friend of mine stood up at the meeting and said, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what you guys want. So everything, all of a sudden, you're, you're angry and you're nasty and you're mean. I said, wait, 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 wait. First of all, in a certain way of speaking, only in a certain way, it's not about you. Sit down and shut up <laughs> for once. And what we are asking of you not to solve our problems, because that we must do together. Listen. Be a good listener, because we have pain to share with you. It's not all going to be sweet and gracious, but it belongs to you. And if you're going to grow up, you have to take it like a man and mm -hmm. shut up. Well, some got up and left. <laughs> the adults stayed. <laughs>
But the, you said it. But those who stayed have become the pillars mm. because they understood what I was trying to say and what I've been trying to say all my mm. life. I said, you have no idea the, the, the wound that I live under. And that wound has to do with incredible underestimation of who I am, constantly having to play the dumb shuffle along boy so that they'll leave me alone. I'm not dumb. I see, <laughs> I see stuff. I see what's happening. Yeah. I'm, yes, and I'm an observer. I, and the other thing I, I've told them, I remember the first time I said, the audience was so quiet. I said, do you know, you all are Christians for the most part. And some Jewish, Jewish, and one Muslim, oh, okay. But the point I'm talking about is unconditional love. You know, Jesus was not white. Think about that for a minute. He was not Anglican or the wasp. No. Middle East. His hair was closer to mine than it is to yours. He wore a beard that was rough. And his skin was brown. So maybe lighter or darker, but Arab brown. And you say you loved him. Well, the thing is, what I, reason I bring that up is, when the unconditional love presents itself in your life, you may not recognize it because you want it only from one source, one place. It could be Chinese. It could be the Dalai Lama. Come walking across the ocean over here. Yeah, that's such the challenge. It's like, what is that? You know, it's kind of in one way that theme with Fred saying, you know, you heard it today. It's like in the Bible, yes. for those with ears, let them hear. And what is yes. that? That's, that's that combination of being you've done the it's consciousness work of being able to be conscious and receive it but it's also being connected to the feminine enough whether you have a penis or vagina to be That's able right. to feel can you feel energetic intentions can you feel the energy and people are so cut off from their ability to feel their true feelings they can feel their emotions their surface emotions but to tap into their soul's feelings i think is that a process of deprogramming trauma and releasing yep. to, to come back into, you know, I, I just think of you as a soul, like Fred was saying, such an old soul, because you incarnated with such, I, I think of it, some people come in to surf the little waves and some people come in like, I'm a big wave surfer. And I think, <laughs> I think you're a big wave surfer and that you're like, listen, I'm going to come down in a time where here's going to be some of the challenges and here's my true nature and some people won't be able to get it but my job is to raise the consciousness through the experience right. of being my true self i thought a lot about that with um in the book you talk about your experience with charles angus where and i oh. love i loved how you put this for the first time in my life the forces pulling me towards something sexual with a man were stronger than the ones pulling me away and i think it's almost like that tipping point you know where it's like the fear gremlins what are you gonna be what are you gonna do i'll be like okay i'm this is not going <laughs> this is who i am this is the scales tipped that day and then you said yeah. as you woke up I pushed away the last, last vestiges of Christian guilt and apology from my mind. If I couldn't enjoy this feeling, what could I enjoy? And then the next thing we get to is this letter from your mother. <laughs> and I think about that in terms of energetics, like my background's in systems theory and Jungian psychology. So it's like this idea of when you've got a pioneer of family consciousness, that's going to change the family system you're going to have a battle and you're going to have someone fighting for the evolution and you're going to have the old guards energetically unconsciously from fear saying we know uh, that's right. the old guard tries to hold on 
no son of mine is going to be gay. And, that was a powerful statement. And then you've got the unconditional love of what is just being what is. And um, so I just really noticed in terms of energy cords and family systems theory, the timing of how you laid that out in the book, like I finally kind of accepted. And then here's the test. Cause I do feel like the lot, I see that with clients all the time when they finally stand up, like I'm gonna follow my soul. I'm gonna listen to my soul. I expect the universe to throw you a test. It's gonna say- That's oh, right, do you mean it? Are you sure? Yeah. And, yep. Can you hold on? Because yeah. that's what we're told to hold on. It's coming. It's here. You just hold on. Um, what, where do you people uh, uh, ex express this in, in uh, offices or church or what? What are you? We feel like our we don't church really fit in is. Any box. Yeah, we're yeah. Cool. It's yeah. our podcast. We see everything as our church. You know what I mean? And I think uh -huh, and that's I why we relate to. <laughs> you know your background <laughs> um it's using every moment and opportunity whether that's public speaking or a session or group therapy or a workshop or retreats we embody souls when people come here and we do soul embodiment work and then that's the point of this podcast is to raise consciousness and to deliver love to people in the middle of omaha oh, wow. or wherever they're at it's yeah how did you start your business would you call it or your I would say it's a calling that was not a plan. I was pre-law. <laughs> so this was definitely you not- You stayed a long way. Yeah. yeah, this was not what I thought I'd ever be doing. So I just, for me, this is my reality that I can't change. And whether that, some people, I get 50 emails a day. You're psychotic, you're schizophrenic, like you're, oh. these are demons talking to you. The Bible says this is wrong. I mean, it's just status quo. And so for a long time, I was, I'm a people pleaser. I like to be accepted. I'm an extrovert. I like to have, you know, I didn't want to be the one to have to admit and, and, but, but what's happened, and then our meeting really kicked things off and took it to no level, because I was doing this work before we met, and then our souls have done this together in previous lifetimes. So this <laughs> so you got continuation, to get yeah, and the universe had another plan of how we were meant to learn yeah. from well, each other. Do you belong to a church? No, I would no. say, well, the, the work we're doing now is called the Holy Heart, which is basically, it's not technically a church, but it's a church energetically. And so we're oh. doing online courses and teaching how to do this, how to connect in this way. and uh, How to connect. And our message is that everybody has access to their own divine truth. That's so it's, right. it's a tricky thing to teach, right? Because we don't actually have any doctrines or anything. There's no dogma. Uh, it's just... Uh, <laughs> that everybody has access to their own divine information through their soul. And, and we are souls having world. a human experience, not oh, Exactly, I thought of that having... the first time when I saw you guys. They understand, because for so yeah. many other people, they can't, they, well, they're not there yet. They're not ready yet, so they don't. And you tell them, you know, you're a soul having a human experience. You're gonna close this down and your soul is gonna go on. What? Yeah. what are you talking about? I listened to your interview, I think it was on NPR. Was that the one? The, um, the moth are you talking about? Yeah. With the, uh, about oh, the wedding dress. Yes. And yeah. I love how you ended that interview, you know, in the in this your story, you talk about being a kid and wanting to wear this beautiful wedding dress that you see your, is it your cousin? Yeah, my cousin Johnny May. Johnny yeah. May. You see her in it and just being stunned by the beauty of this dress and then 
talking to your mom and about oh, wanting to wear, boys don't wear wedding gowns. Yeah, and and so feeling like you weren't allowed to wear this, but then ending it eventually you moving to this apartment and finding yes. a wedding dress. Talk about soul orchestration and divine planning of this <laughs> apartment is cleared out and the you know in the closet. The one thing that was left in that apartment was yeah. the wedding dress in the closet. Yeah. And then you put it on and you describe just coming alive. Dancing around yeah. a little bit, just feeling yourself, yeah. but then uh but then sitting down and just falling asleep. And well I fix myself a drink. Yeah, that, that too. Uh, I'm vodka and then I go over and sit Yeah, out. but there's just just this feeling of contentment, and and uh, and I really see that as that sitting back into your soul of just being like, this is where this is this how is I, I express myself. This I am. is where I feel. Yeah, me. I found me. Yeah, and it was the experience was so profoundly satisfying and powerful that I take a drink and I sit down and I start thinking. Next thing I know, I, I was asleep. It was just that deep and heavy, and when I uh, anyway, there was more to, to the story when I woke up, but not not significantly. Just that I woke up in the dress. <laughs> <laughs> That's a probably cool feeling to wake up in a wedding dress. Feeling gay felt so natural. It was a natural, wonderful, easy. I didn't have to pretend. I didn't have to. I wasn't being uh, censored, censored, uh, edited, and censored by people. I could be in a, my bedroom or be out in the park somewhere by myself. And I did things when I was by myself that were fine. And uh, that voice that we talk about was constantly saying, go ahead, Francois, you're not gonna die. This is not gonna kill you, go ahead, try it. I was nudged and encouraged by this inner voice that said, mm, feels so good. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that, you go ahead. Uh, I, I said this and I don't wanna be redundant, but the sweetest part of me is gay. Hmm. I, I know that. When that happens, and it goes very deep, I'm a human being like you, but Francois Clemens comes alive when I touch that spot. Ooh, that's me. So I put on a dress instead of a pair of pants, or I grab one of my jackets, and I put that on, and I sit, and I say, thank you. Thank you, you've done good. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go pick up a copy of Officer Clemens and enjoy. We'd love to hear what you think about it. And it really helps us out if you rate and review the podcast. It helps others find us. Take care. Thanks so much.